Today's reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 34, and it's titled The Rich and the Kingdom of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel <clears throat> will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and his disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word today. We come to the gospel of Mark, good news of your son. And we pray by your spirit that you would hold us, but you would also change us. Amen. I uh, sometimes find passages that are uncomfortable. And the story of the, the rich young man coming to Jesus is, is one of those passages. In fact, uh, as, I, as I read the, 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 this in the commentary, it had two warnings. And the first warning, this is notes for preachers, uh, it said, be aware, preachers, that congregations don't want to hear sermons that make them uncomfortable about material possessions. And that's certainly true. <laughs> We don't really want the church to talk about money, particularly if it's our money. We, we sent a letter out last year um, uh, about our, our givings and asking folk to think about that. And I know for a lot of people that was difficult. Not so much being asked for money is just the whole thing of the church wanting to talk about it. We'd rather not go there. And so the first warning was that 
congregations get uncomfortable when we talk about this. They, they, I guess you want to hide your wallet, don't you? Is your reaction. But the second warning was, it said, preachers avoid passages like this because the congregation expects them to set an example. Suddenly, I want to hide my wallet. We get uncomfortable. And if you think about this passage, it's rather shocking. The children come to Jesus. This is just the passage before. I read that earlier. And the disciples didn't want them there. And uh, Jesus welcomed them. And then we have this other passage where this rich man comes to Jesus. And the other, the other gospels add that he was a young man and, and a ruler. And, and I can imagine as this good living guy with lots of cash comes into the, the, the presence of the disciples that folk are thinking, wow, this guy, this is exactly the type of follower we want. You know, if somebody comes into the, the church just now and they're keen and they're, they're, they're good living and they're loaded we're thinking, yeah, this is exactly the sort of member we'd like to have here. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, this is fantastic. This guy wants to be saved. He wants to be a follower. And he's loaded. What's, this is brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. And you can imagine that the disciples are thinking, just sign this guy up, Jesus. Maybe you could tell him a little bit about tithing. You know, that'd be quite good. Um, you know, what, what could he, you know, brilliant. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus could have replied in different ways. Jesus could have said, well, read your Bible. Or he could have said, well, maybe you'd like to join the church. Or, or maybe he could have said, here's a gift aid form. You know, lots of things Jesus could have said. But what Jesus says is just one small thing. Give up everything you own. salary, the pension plan, the savings, the house, the Rolex, the iPhone, sell it all and follow me. If you want to be a Christian, just get rid of it all. And what we're told in the passage is that the man turned away. He was shocked. And the disciples were shocked too. They said, look, if that's the criteria to follow you, if you have to surrender everything to follow you, who on earth is going to do that? Who can be a follower of Jesus if that is the demand, that you give up everything? Would you be? If that was the demand, that you give up everything? There's the door. Maybe you'd like to go now. <laughs> you know, the idea that we have to choose between God and, and, and money is a horrible idea, isn't it? We, we sort of think, can I not have both? I, I, re I remember a friend who, who had a bumper sticker, and it, it, it said simply, Lord, let me prove to you that riches won't spoil me. You know? Can I not have both? Wouldn't that be good? And there's some churches that preach that way. If you come to the Lord, if you do all that you're supposed to do, if you keep all the commandments, if you pray a lot of time, you'll get rich and your businesses will be a success. You know? And if I could preach that and promise that and I actually have, the church would be full. But unfortunately, that's not true. Jesus said, it is harder 
for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Camel and the eye of the needle. Now, like many hard sayings of Jesus, we want to soften it. And as I began to, to, to read about this, I found that some of the commentators had, had sort of come up with things over the, over the centuries. One, one suggestion had been that Jesus was talking about camel thread. And camel thread might be thread that was quite thick. And so it's difficult to get the camel through the eye of the needle. But if you have like a big needle and you've got try really hard, you might manage it so it'll be okay. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as camel thread. And Willie Bartley, I think it was, who said, well, you see, in Jerusalem, there were lots of gates, and there was a wee narrow gate, which he, he, he suggested might be called the, the camel gate. Uh, or no, sorry, the, the eye of the needle, because it was really narrow, and maybe it was quite difficult to get a camel through it. Again, looks like wishful thinking. See, both of what these are doing is they're doing what we often do with the Bible is we're saying, that sounds really tough, so can I find a way to read it that makes it easier so I don't have to change anything? You see what they're doing? Can I read it in a different way? But sometimes we have to say, what if the Bible means what it says? Mark Twain said this. I'm not going to do an American accent here. You're all right. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Parts that I do understand. You know, we have to face what was being said here, what Jesus is saying. Children can come, but for rich people, this is going to be hard. Now, again, you know, we're tempted to read this a wee bit and say, yeah, rich people, you know, tough on rich people. I'm so glad I'm not a rich person, you know. I'm really not a rich person at all. You know, that's obviously talking about bankers and, and millionaires. Jesus said bad things to rich people. I'm all for that. I'm with, I'm with Jeremy Corbyn. Stick it to the rich people. Say lots of things about the rich people and all the problems that they cause in society. We can have that. That's fine. I'm not rich. I, I like Robin Hood and I, I, I you know, all that. But I just ask you to play this imagination game with me. Imagine we could take that rich man, that rich young ruler, out of first century Palestine, and we could take him to your house. And he has a look around the house, and the first thing he does is he asks, can he use a loo? And he goes into the loo and says, it's inside. And then he goes into the loo and says, running water. Wow! You know, where I come from, only King Herod can afford that because he's got Roman plumbing. Nobody else has that. We've got a well, and because I'm rich, we've got a nice well, and I've got someone that can help me take the water in, but wow, I wish I had the water that you've got. And then he sees the fridge, and he thinks, wow, you can have strawberries in June, in your freezer, and you can have beer whenever you want it cold in your fridge. And then he looks at the television and he says, and you've got a painting that talks. And the rich man says, 
to you as he hears all these things. That's before he sees a car or a caravan or, or an airplane or anything else. He says, I thought I was rich until I met you. There's no way of getting around it. If you look at the course of human history, if you look at society around us, we are, most of us, incredibly rich. It's amazing that we have a problem in our society. The biggest problem we have with food is, is a problem of too much, isn't it? When most of human history has a problem of too little. Are you uncomfortable now? Because <laughs> I am. Because this is talking about us. But you see, one of the things that's important to see here is this. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's very easy to play blame games. Them, the rich, the class warfare language. But Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at this man and he's going to give him an uncomfortable diagnosis of his problems, but he's doing it out of love. And that's the first thing we need to see. We're not called to be people who get involved in a blame game or an us and them or a class warfare or any of those things. We're called to love. We're called to love the poor. And we're called to love the rich and to understand. You see, Jesus looks at the rich man and he sees the problem in his life, but he also wants to address it. Sometimes we blast the elites, and we need to understand that God loves it. One of the biggest things I just did my head in as I was thinking about this is just thinking, you know, God loves Donald Trump as much as he loves me. Is that a thought? He cares about Donald Trump as much as he cares about me. Jesus loves, and that needs to talk, affect the way that we talk and the way that we think. And he sees the good in this man. He says to the man, do you know the commandments? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, you shall honor your father and mother. This is Exodus 20, by the way, 10 commandments. And you can sort of see the man going, tick, 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 well, sort of, tick, 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 as he goes down the list. And Jesus says, you lack only one thing. You see, that list of commandments, there's one missing. And it's the first one. Or the first one and a half. Can anyone remind me? Does anyone know what the first commandment is? Yep, you, you, you've got it there. That, that's actually the New Testament interpretation of it. But yes, you're right. The first commandment in Exodus 20 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven and earth or under the earth or in the waters below. I am the Lord your God. See, here's the problem. The man thinks he's keeping all the commandments. He's keeping them all, yes, but he is breaking the first commandment. Why is that? Well, just ask these questions. He's got a dirty big idol. Now, by that, I don't mean he's got a big stone thing, but when you ask this question, what is his God? What is he worshiping? 
What is the priority in his life? What is the main thing, the main motivating factor in his life? Where is his trust? Where is his value? Is it in the Lord, his God? No, it's not. It's in his stuff, his possessions, his security. And how do I know that? Well, I know that because when he's invited to choose God or money, it's not just that it's a difficult choice, it's actually not a difficult choice for him. Why? Because he chooses money. Money is what he worships. Money is God for him. Money. And that first commandment, when it says, don't make a graven image, isn't because God hates little stone things that we might make and put on a mantelpiece. That's not what it's about. It's that God knows that at the heart of who we are, we have a worship problem. We worship the wrong things. We give our allegiance, we put our hope, we set our desire on the wrong things. You know, this man outwardly is doing all the right things, the good behavior, but Jesus hasn't come to change behavior. He's come to change the heart. And this man's problem is his heart in the wrong place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. All. I love the fact that the United States currency has in God we trust, and it's written on a dollar bill. There's just a, a, an irony in that, isn't there? Or maybe it's a reminder. We're being positive. A reminder that it's not in the dollar or the buck or the pound or the pension scheme, but our trust is in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you know, where your money is, there your heart will be. And I guess that's part of it, is if we want to know what, our, what the most important thing in our lives is, follow the money. Follow the money. What is it we are investing in? What is it we are putting our trust in? Because what we can't say is, I love the Lord, but I don't want to give to Him. Someone said to me, it's like saying, I love my kids, but I don't want to feed them. I love the poor, but I really need a new television so I can't give anything to the food bank. What is true is that Jesus doesn't ask every believer to give up all their money. Oh, we all go, Hugh, don't we? Hugh. That's us off the hook. But it is true. I mean, Zacchaeus, if you think about it, Zacchaeus, who stole a whole lot of money, at the end of the story, he gives half his possessions away, not all of it, just half of it. And we might think of Nicodemus, another rich man who comes to Jesus, and Jesus has a conversation, but he doesn't mention money. Or Joseph of Arimathea, who was another rich man who followed Jesus, and there's no mention of him giving up money, although he did give up the burial plot that he'd bought. Or, or we can think about the early church, where lots of poor people in the church, but there are also obviously some rich people, because where do they meet? In big houses, and they obviously belong to somebody. And so, it's not that money is always the problem, but it's that money so easily becomes the idol. And that's why we need to talk about it in church. 
It's interesting that folks say you don't want the preacher to preach on the subject very often. Jesus speaks about money 25% of the time. So if I was doing that, I would say one sermon in four will be about money because he recognizes it's such a huge part of our lives. And the reason he does that is not because Jesus wants all your money. I, I remember, I think it was Bono who talked about televangelists trying to fleece old ladies, and he said, the, the, the God I know isn't short of cash. And that's true. But the reason we talk about money isn't because the church needs our money. It's actually because to follow Jesus, he wants to address that idle problem that's in my heart and in your heart and in all of our hearts. Actually, the reason that the vows of, of, of joining the church talk about giving our, our, our time, our talents, our money to the church isn't because the church needs money. That's not the reason it's there. It's because to follow Jesus is to follow him in every aspect of our life. It's about us following Jesus. That Jesus didn't want this man's money. Jesus wanted this man's love, this man's heart, this man to put him first. You know that old saying that people use that the money is the root of all evil, but what it actually says in 1 Timothy is the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Where is our heart? And think about it this way. As a society, as our wealth has increased, has our happiness increased? Has our love increased? Has our godliness increased? Or have all these things fallen? Because it is harder for a rich man and a rich nation to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Mother Teresa said, you will never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. The rich man, it's interesting, said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And that's transactional, isn't it? I need to do stuff to get stuff. That's back to money again. I do things, I earn things, I deserve things, I get things, I have things, and I'm secure in what I've got, my abilities, what I've given, what I've credit I've got, the, the goodwill I've got with friends because of what I've done. And he calls Jesus good as well. It's as if to say, Jesus, you're good, I'm good, we can get along fine, we can do a deal. And that's often the way of religion, isn't it? I do stuff and God looks after me. But here's the thing, salvation isn't doing anything, it's receiving something in that love of God. Jesus isn't coming that we can add on to our lives His presence, but that we are able to put Him at the center, and that's how we become saved. Yes, this is impossible for human beings. It's impossible to go through the eye of the needle. Even if you make the needle bigger and the camel smaller, it's not going to work. But Jesus goes on to say, nothing is impossible for God because God changes the heart and changes the idol in the heart. 
And the context of all of this? The journey. And on that journey towards Jerusalem, Jesus is teaching them about what it means to follow, what it means to give up, what it means to be committed. But much more importantly, he's also talking about what he's going to do for them as he gives up and sacrifices his whole life, giving them something that they don't deserve. And that's what salvation is, that allows us, as we realize that he's done for us, to put everything else down and worship the Lord our God and him alone. Amen.